0: This week, we're looking at the theme of light from Isaiah 9. I think this text is one of the most familiar Christmas Bible verses known in the world, verses 6 and 7, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. When you go back to their original texts in their context, you can see the need to shift our attention, though, to the way that we think about Christmas in our world, to the way uh, the church calendar tells us to think about this time of year in Advent, Uh, And when you look at both our calendar and the church calendar in Advent, you begin to see that side by side, they're looking at very different things. They're they're looking at different things. So our calendar, the Aussie Christmas calendar, has important dates and traditions. So when it's the 1st of December, Aussies know what we have to do, don't we? Uh, It's the time to get the Christmas tree out. And you need to get your Christmas shopping done before the last two weeks. That's an important time in our calendar, isn't it? Because if you wait... Two weeks before Christmas, then the shopping centres need to be avoided at all costs, so you've, you've lost there. Um, the Aussie Christmas calendar has Santa everywhere. He's on the wrapping paper. He's in the shopping centre. He's in the windows. He's in the doors. Is it any wonder that he sees you when you're sleeping? He's everywhere. The Aussie Christmas says you need to spend time with your family on Boxing Day. And of course that means that the cricket's on. And you watch the Boxing Day Test Match. I see a few nods over here, yes. And the Aussie Christmas songs. I think we have the worst Christmas songs in the world. I hope I'm not alone. If if you want a terrible time, look up the 12 days of Aussie Christmas. It's awful. (laughs) Uh, It's awful. And the worst of all, I think the worst of all is Aussie jingle bells. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Christmas in Australia on a scorching summer's day, hey. Jingle bells, jingle bells, Christmas time is butte, Oh, what fun it is to ride in a rusty Holden Ute. <laughs> like, the, the American songs are terrible enough, you know, chestnuts roasting over an open fire, things like that. I think Aussies take it to another le- level of terrible. <laughs> that's, the, that's the Aussie Christmas calendar. But how about the church advent calendar? It's very different. It actually takes us to a very different place. So if you you were looking at the words in Isaiah 9, one of the most famous Christmas verses, the context, talks about gloom, darkness, politics, blood, joy, hope, and light. Think about the um, traditional Christmas carols for just a moment. In the 17th and 18th century, there was a big push to write songs for Advent and the bulk of the Christmas carols that churches sing across the world are from this period of time. And so at Advent, churches would sing carols like this one, O little town of Bethlehem. Look with fresh eyes at the content that we sing, just in the first verse, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie, above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. yet... In thy dark streets shines the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. When you look at Advent, actually look at the context of what Israel was longing for and promised, you really get to see why this is the most wonderful time of the year. Because you can only see how wonderful these promises are if you are willing to plunge yourself into the darkness Of the world into the darkness of their world and of this world to see to actually look at the disappointment and look at the pain and look at the suffering like honestly for you and I how can we sing and have joy in this world how can we come to church and sing when there is violence and war and death around us yet if we let the Bible speak if we let Isaiah speak we can we can have joy we need to have a longing inside of us to find light in the midst of a dark world. And Isaiah 9 helps us see the light that, that, is, that has come and is coming. When you see Advent, the journey begins in the dark. So does our passage. It begins in the dark. So a bit of context to Isaiah 9. Uh, Noah reminded us helpfully last week. Um, you've got God's chosen people. Israel, there used to be one nation, but they're divided into two. So they've got the northern kingdom called Israel, and that's ten tribes. You've got the southern kingdom called Judah, which is two tribes. Isaiah's prophesying to the, the southern tribe, to Judah. And the context around this prophecy is really interesting. Um, the first thing I want you to do is actually go back two chapters. If you're in the Blue Bibles, look at page 572. It's just, it's just on the other side. And look at Isaiah chapter seven verse fourteen. The context for this is, so, is that Judah, the, the bottom kingdom, is going to be attacked. King Ahaz, who's the king of Judah, uh, Isaiah is telling King Ahaz what to do. And we see the Lord speaks to King Ahaz through Isaiah, and he says, "If you do what I tell you, uh, you'll be okay. If not, you won't. Um, ask me a sign for this." King Ahaz says, "Thanks, but no thanks. I don't want a sign." I'm going to seek help and make a way without God. That's the king of Judah. The king of God's people says, thanks, but no thanks. I'm I'm going to find my own way. I'm going to seek help and make a way without God. But then Isaiah says, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And Isaiah 7.14 says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. So there's the sign. But now look at chapter 8, verse 19, just at the top of page 573 in the Blue Bibles, and have a look at how bad things have got, how dark Judah has become. This is how bad it gets from King Ahaz rejecting God and the sign of Emmanuel. This is how dark the darkness gets. God's people, God's chosen people in Judah want guidance for this life, and they refuse to go to God. Instead, at chapter 8, verse 19... They're going to mediums and necromancers. They need help. And the obvious one to turn to is Yahweh, the God of mercy. Verses 21 and 22 of chapter 8 say, They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. When they're hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. They will turn their faces upward, They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, they will be thrust into thick darkness. God's people refuse to go to God, and so they look to the world. They go to mediums and spirit guides. It's dark, isn't it? This is God's people. This is is God's people in complete darkness. Uh, One commentator I read calls this darkness death darkness. I think that's very fitting. Literally no light here. God's people say, I would rather follow mediums than you. God's people seeking guidance from from mediums and spirit guides, necromancers, literally anything other than Yahweh. So far from God, the, the God of mercy, the one that loves them. And Isaiah actually states the obvious in chapter 8, verses 19 and 20. He says... Should not a people inquire of their God? Should they not inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? If they will not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. Like, no dawn? That's death darkness. How do we live in a world with death darkness? In our text, this is God's people, but even our world goes through death darkness too. Think about even just coming to church on a Sunday. Every Sunday at church, I think it's like the equivalent of having a mini Easter. But the rest of the week, it's dark. It's Advent. It's, it's walking in darkness, looking for light. It's a world that will go to anything other than Jesus. It will find any other way apart from Jesus. It will turn and celebrate any other solution other than Jesus. It will even make Christmas... The day to celebrate the birth of our Saviour will make Christmas about literally anything other than the birth of Jesus. That's so dark, isn't it? There's so much darkness. And universally across the world, we long for the light. Um, There's wars all over the world that we long for light in. Russia and Ukraine, Israel and Palestine. That's all you get in the news, if you're lucky. Fighting, violence, killing, murder... And our world is the same as back then. Our world is the same as God's people. We don't like the teachings of God, so we look elsewhere. And when you take God out of the picture, this is what we're left with. We're left with a world with no morality. When you take God away, you take justice away. No accountability, no right, no wrong. Do what you feel is good. But the result is always the same. It's death darkness. Just death. Merry Christmas. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> um, Isaiah shows us that Advent, Advent begins in the dark. And so at Christmas time, Isaiah invites us to think about this, to really think about the world that we live in. And questions rise when we do. What do I actually believe about the world? Why do bad things happen? Why do they happen to me? Why do they happen to me and not others? Why do they happen to others and not me? Why does the world exist? Why does it even exist in darkness? What do we do? Is there there hope? These questions are raised. So today, if you're here, and you wouldn't identify as a Christian, I want to invite you and ask you to think about what you actually think about the world. What do you really think is actually hopeful in this world? Because the Bible talks about Jesus as the light, the light of the world. So think about what that might mean for you today. If you're here and you are a Christian, I want you to ponder this. If you actually believe that Jesus is the light in this darkness, in what ways have you been living and thinking about Christmas the way our world does, not the way the Bible does? How are you living? in light of Jesus? There's two questions I have for you this morning. So that's the dark backdrop to where we're at in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. Look at how far God goes to, to redeem his people. Look at verse 1, chapter 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, He brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The very first thing I want you to notice is the first word. Isaiah says, but, which is like saying despite this. So despite the fact of everything we've just looked at about the darkness, despite the fact that that God's people aren't even going to listen to his guidance and are going to worldly answers to fix their problems, there will be no darkness for her. There will be no darkness for Israel. When this light comes, those who have experienced the worst of the darkness will get the best of the light. Isaiah mentions Zebulun and Naphtali. They're in the northern kingdom. They're two tribes in the northern kingdom. They're at the top of the map. So when the Assyrian army came, um, when darkness came, in the context of Isaiah, it came to them first. They got wiped out first. They got the worst of the fighting. They got the biggest darkness. And they will no longer have gloom. And also for us to take notice uh, is at the end of verse 1, he's made glorious the way of the sea, the land uh, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, every person who's hearing and reading this in Isaiah's time, would immediately notice something here. If God's going to do something big, why would it be in Galilee? Because where is the temple? It's Jerusalem. But Galilee, the outskirts of Israel, of course we know Jesus was from Galilee. Nazareth is in Galilee. So the birthplace of Jesus here is mentioned to be glorious. Glorious. Those who get the worst of the darkness will get the best of the light. Now look at verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Why is Christmas the most wonderful time of the year? Here's why. We're about to see light coming into death darkness. That's why. Has anyone ever got up early? to watch the sunrise. So, Anyone, just a show of hands? Most people in the room, good. I, I, I've done it a few times in my life. When you watch the sun come up, I'm always struck that just before the sun rises, you kind of look around, but it's not dark anymore. You know what I mean? Like it's You kind of see around you, it's gray. Before the light of the sun even bursts through, the power of the light is there. The power of the light lifts the darkness. It's not black anymore. Things are a bit grey, there's still darkness around, but light is on the way, but it hasn't come yet. Light is about to dawn, but it's not quite yet. If you've ever watched the sun come up, the weight kills you. Uh, You want the darkness to disappear and the light to overcome it. Darkness is not the way it's meant to be. This is why light is good news. We've got to switch calendars from the Aussie Christmas To Advent, this ancient story to see why the light of the world is good news. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. We're about to see light from death darkness. Verse 3 mentions joy four times and is saying that there's about to be joy felt like never before. Now, God's people hadn't seen this light, they were in exile, they were in darkness. But darkness will be replaced by light. So how can they see it? How are they going to be able to see it? Isaiah says the way to see it is to see the gift. It's to see the gift that God has given you in all of its glory. So what's that gift? It's verse 6. A child. A child is born, a son is given. The answer to the question of how to solve the bad things in our world, and why bad things happen, why we can't solve this question ourselves, is because the answer is outside of ourselves. The answer to how to solve these things is found in a child who will be given by God. What is this child, this gift, what is it going to change? We've got to go back. Verse 4. The yoke of his at burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Through this child, God is going to end oppression. He's going to break and, sh- and shatter the yoke that burdens them. All the injustice, the insecurity, the exploitation, the corruption that our world is filled with will one day be shattered. Verse 5, every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So through this this child, God is going to end war. Every warrior's boot, every garment rolled in blood will be burned. What a day. War will be over. And the best part about it is that this war will be ended and you won't have to fight in it. The end of verse 7 says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. How is it possible that a child being born will be able to do this? How can a, a son restore and bring light in the midst of this darkness? Well, of course, we don't get the answer to this text now, but the answer to this question is found in Isaiah 53, isn't it? Where this child, this son, will be despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, will be despised and rejected, and we will not esteem him. He's borne our griefs, he's carried our sorrows, but we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. On him was our punishment that brought us peace, and by his wounds we're healed. How can a child being born restore and bring light into death darkness, it's by that. By God coming to earth in the form of a man, Jesus Christ, and God will judge all of our sins on Jesus. He will judge them all on Jesus on the cross, and in doing so, God will experience his own judgment in Jesus. Why would Jesus need to do that? It's because we aren't just lost. We're in death darkness. God needs to replace all our sin. And and on Jesus, on the cross, he does so. As Jesus was on the cross, darkness fell on the land. Isn't that interesting? The light of the world went into the deepest darkness so that through our trust in Jesus, we can walk in hope and joy and one day be welcomed into light. This is why Advent is reflecting on darkness. Because we have to feel it. We have to feel the hopelessness to receive the hope. We have to see the gloom to feel the joy. We have to feel the death darkness to receive the saving light. So how will Jesus end our darkness? Well, verse one says a glorious way is going to be made. So what is that way? How can we see his glory? Here's the reason. Here's the reason we have a hope of the light. Look at verses 6 and 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with righteousness and justice, from that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So we've got to see this and apply the glory. How is Jesus going to end our darkness? And I think to answer that question, we have to ask another one. For darkness to be ended, we need to know what life is like in the dark. So what is it like to be in the dark? I've got four things Uh, that will help us to see how Jesus will end our darkness. So firstly, to be in the dark is to be lost. God's people were lost. They were in the dark. They didn't even seek God's counsel. They sought out any other way other than Yahweh. Our world is in the dark. We seek anything other than the good news of Jesus. But not just that... You and I know what it's like to be in the dark. So how beautiful to see Isaiah's words. A wonderful counselor is coming. Someone with great wisdom is coming who will guide us to the light. He's given you his word to help you. He's given his spirit inside of you to help you. Anyone who has done any form of counseling knows that it's painful It's painful to do counselling, and you can often feel the weight of that. But counsellors help. That's what their job is. They can help you understand things you didn't see. They help you in pain. They help you to bring healing. Hebrews 4, verses 15 to 16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses. We have one who is in every respect tempted as we are, but without sin. So what? What? let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we can receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. To be in the darkness is to be lost, so we need to draw near to this wonderful counsellor who will bring light. Secondly, to be in the dark is to be afraid. In almost every scary movie I've watched, you watch the journey of central characters ending up in dumb dark places <laughs> completely afraid and then usually overcome it's like it's, it's it's every scary movie isn't it stupid people doing stupid things and going to the worst places where evil is lurking around every corner in a way life is like that there's evil around every corner like we we don't actually know when and where we will see darkness next but it comes We don't know what's in store, even in the next hour. How do you live in a world full of darkness but not be afraid? Remember that our God is mighty. We have a mighty God who is strong and mighty, that he places himself into our story and he enters our world. He didn't just stay in heaven thinking, oh boy, you know, I wish that these humans would just clean up their mess. He rolled up his sleeves and he got in there. Our mighty God enters the world. And our God is a warrior God. Jesus, who is prophesied as mighty God, is a warrior. He's a fighter. When demons saw Jesus, they pleaded with him not to be destroyed. In Revelation 19, Jesus is predicted as one leading an army with a sword coming out of his mouth and his robe dipped in blood. That's mighty. No one is too strong for this mighty God. And to be afraid of darkness is to be afraid of death. But guess what? Our mighty God defeated death. He's already done it. And if we trust in the light, death is just a doorway into the arms of this mighty God. Thirdly, to be in the dark is to be alone. Never more than public holidays, I think, do we become aware of our loneliness. We have an everlasting father. Everlasting. God loves you as father. And Jesus' love for you is as strong as the love of a father for a child. And in his love, he creates a community of family called the church, full of sisters and brothers so you don't have to be alone. So go deep into the love of this everlasting father. Fourth, to be in the dark is to be in despair to have feelings of, of hopelessness and pain. We'll despair no longer because we have a prince of peace. A prince of peace who's going to break oppression and despair. That's, that's just like he, uh, Isaiah said on the day of Midian in verse 4. That term, prince of peace, is actually linked to verse 4. The day of Midian uh, is a reference to Judges 7 when Gideon defeated the enemies of God's people with 300 men. He, Gideon wanted thousands, but God kept dwindling the number down further and further until the number was 300. And so Gideon and the 300 go and defeat thousands. They break oppression, they break despair, they bring peace, they bring the grace of God to his people. Well, Gideon needed 300. We need one. We need one man to bring the light. We have a prince of peace who brings light as clear as the Midday Sun and brings the grace of God to his people, Jesus breaks despair and brings peace and reconciliation with God to us. I want to finish uh, by sharing a story from one of my favourite books, The Lord of the Rings. Uh, if you don't know The Lord of the Rings, it was written by a man named J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien was an expert in fantasy and myth and epic stories, like just really thinking through the epicness of everything. And he wrote The Hobbit and he wrote The Lord of the Rings, a story filled with high and noble and heroic figures. But he creates this race that we follow who aren't high, who aren't heroic, who aren't that noble. They're really short. Um, They're make-believe characters called hobbits. Hobbits are like us, actually. Because when you read the story, the people you identify with most are always hobbits. And so towards the end of the last book, The Return of the King, we have this moment between two hobbits, Sam and Frodo, the very main characters. Frodo's the one uh, whose quest is to destroy the ring, and Sam goes along uh, and is his faithful companion. They're in Mordor, and they're very close to the end, and Sam is scared. Now, Sam has actually already done something very heroic. So Frodo was captured by enemies and Sam goes into this tower filled with enemies, kills them all. Um, He shows bravery, he shows heroics. But there's this moment after that when he can't sleep because he's scared. And Frodo's asleep and Sam can't sleep. Let me read just this paragraph in the story. As Sam looks up in the sky, can't sleep, scared with danger all around him, here's what Tolkien writes. There... Peeping among the clouds, above a dark tower, high up in the mountains, Sam saw a white star twinkle for a while. The beauty of it smote his heart. As he looked up out of the forsaken land, hope returned to him. For like a shaft clear and cold, the thought pierced him that in the end, the shadow was just small and passing. There was light and high beauty forever beyond its reach. His song in the tower had been defiance rather than hope, for he was thinking of himself, but now for a moment, his own fate and even his masters ceased to trouble him. He crawled back into the brambles and laid himself by Frodo's side and putting away all fear, he cast himself into a deep, Untroubled sleep. For all the evil around us, there's light and joy coming. It didn't bother Sam anymore. Here's our hope. Because if the Bible is true, if light really has come, then the whole universe is filled with joy and glory. But we're on earth stuck in darkness. But even our darkness can and will be taken away because there's light because of Jesus' death and resurrection. No matter what, it's going to be okay. Light is always on the way. I want to read uh, Luke chapter 1, verses uh, 78 and 79 to finish. This is John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, prophesying about this light. Have a listen to this. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is why it's the most wonderful time of the year. Let's pray.